Welcome to Amplify Us with your host, me, Naomi Din. On today's episode, you'll be hearing from Greg McFarlane, who is a trustee member and at the time of this recording was the vice chair and is now the chair in the Seven Oaks School Division in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Hello, Greg. Thank you for joining me for this important conversation today. Hello, thank you for having me. So let's start with a few intro questions. What is your role as a trustee and vice chair of Seven Oaks School Division? My role as a trustee is to be um, a representative from the community that was elected from the community to represent, uh, to, uh, I guess, advocate on behalf of the uh, students that live in the Seven Oaks School Division. My particular ward is Ward 2, and Ward 2 is pretty much the Maples, Amber Trails, and River Bend. So it's a pretty large area. So I was elected back in 2014 to be their representative and re-elected in 2018. So what I do is I sit on the board and we discuss issues that face the students. We discuss um, different um, uh, subjects, different HR issues, uh, capital projects. We handle all the, all, the, all, the, all the budgeting and finances. We um, set the taxation rate every year to see if, it was good, if there's going to be an increase in taxes and where our, exactly the, the money is. And we, also, and we just do whatever is possible to, uh, to give all the students the best possible education so that they can be productive uh, citizens when they, when they graduate our school system. As vice chair, my job is to um, um, pretty much um, run all the meetings um, all, all the meetings that we have, all our informal meetings, all our formal meetings, all the things that are, that, that's being done behind the scenes, the stuff that's done in the public, then the chair takes over and, and they're, that, uh, they're that person that is going to be uh, running the public aspect of things. So, yes, there's more work for the vice chair than there is for the chair. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's I, I, really, I, I really enjoy it and um, I'm glad that the, the, the board has that confidence in me that we can, that, that I can, you know, do what's necessary to make sure that all the meetings and everything is, everything runs on the board level smoothly. Why did you want to become a trustee? Um, I guess what would happen is my, in my, in my um, previous job at that time, I worked as a, as a, as a labor representative and I would deal with lots of, um, young workers that were coming into the, into the workforce that were applying for jobs. I'm, a, I'm an electrician by trade, so what I did is I would, uh, members would come to the union office fresh out of school and saying they wanted to be an electrician. And we'd either accept them, we'd see where their skills are, we'd assess them. Some of them would be sent out to work for, for, for a certain amount of time and you know, a week later they would come back. And we, they were having different, some different kind of issues that we thought that this is something that the education system should have dealt with. The young applicants that were coming in raised questions on what is the school system doing to prepare these kids for real life? And it wasn't necessarily mean that uh, there had to be academic, academic or overachievers, just basic, the way we see it, life skills, getting up on time, showing up, um, working hard, if you want to be advanced, to work hard, put, your, put eight hours of work uh, in for eight hours pay, you know. Uh, you're not going to be making the big bucks until you put the time in. You know, there's a certain, hum- when you come into the workforce, there's a certain way of, you know, humility 
and you earn your way up. You don't just expect to get everything given to you. Right. So I was at that point in my life where, you know, I just had, I just had my, uh, my, my son and I'm like, okay, well, I've, you know, heavily involved in, you know, in the community, heavily involved in, you know, the, the labor community too, uh, volunteering my time on different committees, etc. I decided to put my skills and my, my, my skills together and run to, you know, maybe answer those questions that I have and be part of it. So that in, in five years, when my son's starting school, I can do, use my skills to make sure that when he does go to school, that he has everything he needs and that I can do my, my part to make sure that make sure that it's at that point. Right. You know, so that was my so that was my motivation. Fast forward five years and we're literally one week into that process where my son is starting grade one. Mm -hmm. And I've been able to see and I've seen the changes in our school division in our in our community where I'm where I'm I'm confident now that my son that's going to school now is going to get everything that he needs to be successful. Bring it into real time. It's like the school division has this idea that, you know, the school division is growing. We have to build more schools. We have to, you know, invest in the community and, and have that, have that vision for the future. And now I have the opportunity to see a brand new school being built in our school division that just happens to open up. That's right down the street from us. That's going to be, the school that I've watched create, build, we have to, we got, we got, we got to put our input on everything that the school needs. And now I can send, now I know that my son is going to that school where I had a hand in making. It's kind of a little special where it seems like it was just meant to be that, you know, I helped build, I, I can say, quote, I helped build a school for my son and for my kids. It's amazing because not many people get to have that opportunity and get to be part of yeah. their kids' success, especially when it comes to yeah. the foundations of the school. Of course, we have parents yeah. who try to be involved in their kids' lives at school. Yes, of course. You know, to yeah. be able to say that you're part of the many people who have built that school, it's just really, that's amazing to hear. We'll talk about your, your family and your son. Can you tell us about your family story and how many generations have lived here in Manitoba? In 1981, my family immigrated to Winnipeg from Jamaica. My mom came first and she was pregnant with my sister. And then my, then my, my dad and me and my brother came shortly after. And my sister was born here and we began to have our life here. We were sponsored by my aunt and uncle who were, pre who were previously in Winnipeg first. Uh, back, in the, back in the early 80s, the immigration process was a lot faster than it is right now. So I guess my parents' five-year plan was they were going to put in the application for, 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 for immigration. They figured it would take five years. And then in that time, you know, slowly make our way to Canada. But he put the, my, my dad put the application in. And six months later, we get a call from the government saying, okay, you're ready to go. You're ready to go. Wow. So everything got fast-tracked, and we came here, and we started our life here, 1981, uh, right here in, um, I guess, it would be Garden City at that time. And uh, grew our life from there. My dad came here, and uh, he was a contractor back in uh, 
back in Jamaica and he came to uh, Canada and I guess they, when they were talking about what do people from, when people from the Caribbean come to Canada, what do they do? And, and this government is like, well, they either work on the railroad or they clean hospitals or they, mm. you know, do those menial jobs. Mm. And, you know, um, my dad's very, had a lot of pride. He's like, no, I'm, I'm a successful person. I want to do what I did before or something on yes, that sir. level. Right. Like he's not, that's kind of his mentality. So, right. um, so he ended up applying for Winnipeg transit. So he was a transit driver for many years. And while he was doing that, my, uh, he was taking business administration uh, at nighttime at Red River College so that he can get his, not only he, he can get the papers to match what he did. That's really mm -hmm. what he was doing. So he can be more marketable in doing, in, in, in a field where it, that's his expertise. About six years later, he got a job as um, um, head management for Via Rail Canada, where he worked for 30, 30 plus years and retired. He ended up moving up, move, moving up in the, in, in, the, in the system and became very successful. And the stories that he, that he went through being a, a, a black immigrant coming to Canada, if you think I could write a book, he could write a book. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so he was then telling me, as I was going through my career, all the obstacles that you're gonna have to face, the way the preconceived notions that uh, the, or that, um, people have uh, the stereotypes, the people not liking you, don't really wanting, want you to succeed farther than them, mm -hmm. as if you're not entitled to it, that you, you can't get it, it's not for you, you're taking their job. There mm -hmm. is that kind of um, underlying feeling. They're never gonna, no one's ever gonna come out and say something like that, but it's, you, it's like you feel it. Right. You feel it when you're, when you're out there. So that's where we came to Canada. We, um, my brother and sister, we went to public school. We went to private school. We've, um, my parents are now retired. I went through the school system here. I spent uh, several years in Quebec too, before I moved back to Manitoba, where this, this is where I wanted to be. And started my life here. And uh, now I'm married now and I have two, two kids, six and uh, two years old. <laughs> That's kind of where I am right now, yeah. Your son is in grade one. Have you had to have or start having these type of conversations with your own son at this point? Yes, I have. And, and he's, as I said, he's, he's, he's starting to understand it. I mean, fortunately, um, this school and this area of uh, Seven Oaks School Division, it's very diverse. It's an extremely diverse um school so he sees um, a lot of kids that are either from the Indo-Canadian community or in from the Filipino community where he does have that comfort level I guess some of the conversations I've had is just basically um, and this is kind of what my dad told me it's it's a lot of it it's behavior small things like I don't like you wearing your hat backwards mm -hmm. you know I don't like you wearing you know your hoodie up too much mm. where he can wear as like four as, as a six year old he should be able to feel comfortable to wear whatever he wants any way he yeah. wants i want to present himself in a positive way that where people aren't going to look at him and just have a preconceived 
idea that he's from this quote class. I've had to have the same conversations. I have two nephews, one of them who was 10, yeah. one of them who was seven. And yeah. I had to have conversations with my 10 uh, year old nephew about, you know, making sure you always have like, you know, make sure your shirt's like tucked in or. <laughs> yes, yes. You know, yes, like. That's what I mean. One thing I know kids don't like to always lotion their skin, right? So I was talking about, you know, especially as a black kid, make sure you always have your yeah. skin nice and lotioned and everything that you're all, yeah. you know, shiny <laughs> because we don't want yeah. to have others have this preconceived notion that, oh, all black people are all black boys, you know, they don't care about themselves, yeah. they don't care about how they dress and all this well, stuff. Yeah. This is this is who they are. Right. But that's what we're trying right. to prevent. But it's sad that we have to do that, you know? Right. Yeah, I totally understand exactly what right. you're saying. Exactly right. And and just how you know the conversations like he's gonna have to realize that people that there's gonna be kids and there's gonna be people when he grows up that just aren't going to just accept that. Some of them aren't gonna like you. And it's not that you did anything wrong. It just could it, it just could be either they are jealous of you, they have some kind of, or or they've been taught that black, being a person of color is is either you don't associate with them you have to have your your guard up around them mm. where at this point in his in his life he would never see that if say when he's a little bit older and he you know has sleepovers at his friend's house people are going to be you know don't touch my stuff if something goes missing if something does go wrong, there's no matter what goes wrong, there's always the color of your skin that's attached to it, mm. or a belief that the color of your skin is attached to it, or or a feeling that your color of skin is attached to it. We're gone from the day the, the days of um, Johnny did it, but now it's black guy Johnny did it, or black mm. guy Joey did it. Mm. The race is usually attacked, you and you and you see it in the media. You see that when there's something negative, they attach the race to it. You see that, you know, man, man attacks woman. It's the color of the skin of the man attacks woman. But you seem to only see it when it's black. You don't see it when it's Caucasian or it's white. Look at, um, look at 1986 when, uh, when Ben Johnson won the, um, ben Johnson won the re world record, fastest man in the world. And it was Canada wins the gold. The minute they found out he was cheating, it was Jamaican born Ben Johnson. Jamaican born Ben Johnson busted for steroids but with every step that we do you have right. to now think about the color of your skin that's exactly it it's always race that's attached to it right and yeah. son's just entering um school really for like the first time for the rest of his life really and already yeah. you know there's so many things you have to think about critically your son is in grade one and already grade one. i'm sure you're exhausted you know well yeah with everything going on, this pandemic, you know, that adds to it. But the fact that we're also black, that just plays so many different things huh? in our heads, right? So many different things we have to think about. It's like every step forward that you try to take, you have to think five steps forward. Yeah. What's this going to happen? Right. What, what are the, what, what's going to happen if I say this, if I do this? Truly, this is our life. Yeah. This is how we have to think yeah. every day. I think about myself, yeah. you know. Um, even walking to the mailbox, like, okay, well, 
Are you sure? Like, how far are you going to go? Are you are you just going to walk to the mailbox? Are you going to go any further? Do you have yeah. your cell phone just in case? You know, do you have? Uh, do you remember your rights? <laughs> Literally, that's exactly. something I think exactly. about almost every day. Is it's mm -hmm. that fear because it's attached to the color of my skin. Like, I might be a group with a group of friends. I might even be with my nephews or nieces, but yeah. what do they see? You know, they don't see family. They'll see automatically I'll be stereotyped and they might say oh not only is this a, a black woman but she's a single mother of four kids these aren't my kids mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? yeah exactly these are yeah. not my kids yes. and yes. that's this is how we have to think every day when I drive when, when I drive in my car if I have a hat on I take my hat off it's like certain it's like I don't drive with my hat because I don't drive with my hat on backwards or anything like that because you drive down the street and I keep thinking that, you know, if I, if I look a certain way, I might be suspect to just get pulled over and, and, wrong, and wrongfully questioned. Yeah, racially profiled. Just because. You have to think, when you get pulled over, what do you do? You know, I, I have to, I don't, I don't move. I keep my hands on the steering wheel. I say, yes, officer. I, like, what can I do for you? I, yeah. like, like, you have to know what to say to not trigger right. the authorities to go further. Some of them can be antagonistic too, you know, they can push you to react. In moments like this, you know, with all these different questions that we have, what kind of support do you feel that you have tried to provide for your son, but also for yourself? Like, where do you go to when you have questions like this, when it comes to anti-Black racism? If, if it's support, meaning that if it's a place, I can't see, uh, I think of a, a place right now that I can say you can go to get support. The only support I would say would be your peer, well, your, um, your peers, your surroundings, your, your family, your church community, or your either, if in my case, the West Indian community, the people that can, you know, share, share the same stories and, you know, create some, create, create a dialogue where, you know, Oh, this happened to me. What, what did you do? Oh, well, I did this and I seem to be okay. Okay, well, maybe I'll try that. But that's where, that's where I would say the support would, would, would come in. I can totally see that. My dad is also a pastor um, in Winnipeg. So For example, say, prime, prime yeah. example, yes. Yeah, you know, yeah. and there's a huge sense of community there. You know, you yes. said even sharing the same stories with um, with the West Indian community, I can totally see that over dominoes. How we um, end up talking about things like this. And we end up talking about these really important conversations, sometimes really late into the night. And we also get wisdom as well for mm. from the older generations. And we also can fill the gaps between the older generations and the younger generations. We just end up having these really beautiful conversations. Turning the key a little bit to um, the conversation of Black Lives Matter, what does this statement really mean to you as a Black person and a parent? For me, Black Lives Matter, it, it's a lot more than just uh, against, you know, police brutality, et cetera. I think, it's a, I, think it's a bigger, I think it's a bigger conversation than that. I think it's now, it's now a message of, okay, now um, it's our time. It's time for us to be treated fairly. It's time for us to be treated equitable. It's time for us to, you know, um, 
move forward. It's time for us to becoming bigger leaders and a bigger impact in society. Uh, it's time for us to have black people in elected position, have black people in uh, positions of uh, decision-making, you know, to really be part of the community and for, and, and for us to be, to be, to be leaders, to be treated as equals so that all these, all these, all these injustices that are happening, we can have a strong voice to make the changes that will be better for, for us all. That's how, that's how I see it, how I, and, and, and that's kind of how, how I, not necessarily how, what, 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 what motivates me, but it's like, you know, I, I have a set of skills. I have, uh, you know, my attachment to the, to the, to the community, my attachment to labor and start, I mean, you saw the article that came, that, that was put out in, um, in, in the free press, the one I did about, you know, having a space at the table. Mm-hmm. We need to, you know, empower those those young black people that have that have that skill to say, you know what, you know, uh, strive for the best and and you know don't let anybody hold you down and you know if you're if, there, if if there's an organization that you're part of, become the head of that organization. If you're a person that can has has a skill that can make a difference in the community, don't sit there and keep it yourself. You know, take that step because when somebody sees you make that step to make that change, to be that difference, then maybe someone else will follow suit. Or maybe you can use those, you use your skills to help someone take them out of where they are and put them into a position. Like just, we should just keep lifting, lifting each other up and, and helping each other out. It would be, it'd be selfish to just not use the gifts that were given to me. So it's like when I try to do things, I'm hoping that I can inspire this next generation or my peers to keep moving and, and, and keep making a difference to, you know, make, Win- let's, let's keep it locally, to make Winnipeg a better, make Winnipeg a better place, to, to lift up, lift up Black people in the community so that we can be leaders. One reason why I wanted to start this podcast was when I became the, um, our faculty of education, student council, uh, culture and diversity representative, that this idea just became so much more feasible. You know, the university yeah, yeah. and our faculty already needed a greater sense of awareness and visibility of Black experiences right here in Winnipeg. And so I thought, well, I can use my position to edify and to bring up our people, you know, and to really speak on our experiences and so on and so forth and help someone else see that, you know what, hey, I'm just a regular person, you're just a regular person, but it's about time that we come together and do something to bring our community forward and so forth. Not saying that this is not already been done, but just to a great extent, you know, and coming from every corner, use your platform is what we're saying to, you know, lift up the black community. That's what we need right now. We need hope. We need this sense of community and this sense of care coming from our own people, right? In your opinion, and based on your lived experiences, what does this professional sector, I'm talking about like 
the educational sector need to do better to truly show us that Black Lives Matter at school, like our teachers and our students and their parents, uh, their guardians, so on and so forth. Well, I think there needs to be actual, you know, the same way that we, you know, we, we, we talk about uh, the history of uh, the history, Canadian history. Well, we should talk about, you know, incorporate Black history in there. Talk, talk about Black history in North America. Talk about what went on in the States. Talk about how Black people, how, how Black people started to settle, settle into in, in Canada. Where are they coming from? What are they doing? How, how did they get to Canada? That's an interesting story, too. How did they end up in Canada, first and se second generation? Where did they go? You know that. So, I think that can be incorporated on on the history aspect, especially the Canadian history. We talk about the uh, the World War Two. We talk about the uh, about how you know after the first World Wars, how the um, the Ukrainian and uh, Polish people came to settle Manitoba. We talk about the um, the, the the Irish and the Scottish coming into Manitoba and we talked the, there's the, 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 the French and the, and, the, uh, and, the, and the First Nations community. That's part of the history of Manitoba. We got to incorporate how black people came to Manitoba. If we're going to be talking about history and, 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 and incorporating um, black education. I think it only fair. I think, it's a, I think it's a good story. I think it's a great story. That's so true. I love that you said that, you know, incorporating Black experiences, Black history, culture into into the education um, that we teach our students yeah. every single day. You know, even well, as for myself, being a, a Black educator, I, that is something I believe in. I, I didn't learn enough of my own history when I was in school. That's part of the narrative that I'm trying to change, right? It's not that is a perfect example. We're talking about history and um, just the wars and so on and so forth. Like. The first black battalion, I guess a regiment, is the number two construction battalion um, in the Canadian Expeditionary Force, the CEF, also known as the Black Battalion, which was authorized um, on July 5th, 1916, during the First World War. Like, yeah. do we even know this history? Like, I would not have known that when I was younger, right? This is something I had to learn on my own. And truly, if we're trying to, um, you know, bring in the experiences of all of our students, super mm -hmm. important that we incorporate, incorporate it all because that's reflective of our students and reflective of our society. It's not enough for us to just say, eh, what we're doing is fine, because what we're doing is not fine. What we're doing is still, it leaves our story out. It others people, you know, and it's exclusionary. So I could go off, but I'm gonna leave it. I'm gonna leave it right there. <laughs> There is a definitely if there's a long-term effect to racism in a child. If it's not nipped in the bud when it's early, it can you know it can be detrimental to the child's development. There there is, and uh, on top of all the other pressures the kids are under right now, they don't need to be worried about the color of their skin. seems so bizarre you know really when you think about that it seems so bizarre that this is these are the conversations that we're having <laughs> and that we're, we're yeah. even talking about things like this you know having our students worry about the color of their skin and so on and so forth like 
how they dress, how their hair looks. Like when I was a student, so many of my friends, my so-called friends would come up to me and like talk about my hair, talk about the color of my skin, talk about this and all that. And like really hurtful things, you know? And it's like, it seems so bizarre. We're the human race. We talk about love and we talk about caring for one another and respect, but I guess we're flawed. You know, we are so flawed. And I love the fact that you said students do learn really well. They tend to learn really well from each other, you know, and if one student calls out another student, then they just get it faster and quicker than maybe their teacher telling them, you know, really, it's something beautiful to see. Sometimes before I intervene in practicum schools or so on and so forth, if I see something going on, I, I just wait for a few moments to see if the students will um, try to fix that themselves. Even sometimes when I intervene, there's students already on it and like fixing the problem and helping yeah. students, the other kids to understand like, hey, what you're doing is not right. And this is why, dot, dot, dot. And I, I just stand back and I'm like, you know what? These kids don't even need me. Like y'all got this, you know? Yeah. But at the same time, sometimes there's students who they don't get it, you know? Because again, racism is something that it is taught. Right. And so what they learn in school can very well be undone at home and it can be undone Mm -hmm. as soon as they leave the school. Right. So we still have to we can't just leave it all up to the students. We still have to be the examples, be the role models, so on and so forth, just as we've always been. Going forward, what kind of actions do you think and do you feel need to take place for change in our schools, institutions and boards? educational system, so on and so forth, fill in the gap. So that, as you said, there is dialogue about racism and about diversity, about having full inclusion. I think it has to be put as a priority. They, they have to actually make a conscious effort on, on, on all school division side that they're gonna actually take a break, take a little switch and just focus on, make it, Make it a priority, and uh, and 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 start by there. It's it's kind of it's where you where where you make divisional plans and you make uh, a five year plan, ten year plan. You know, take a pause and say, you know what, let's just uh, let's just move. You know, let's just move this to the top of the agenda and let's tackle this and put some effort into into um, you know, quote giving us giving our space. And create and, and let's let's talk let's talk about let's talk about Black history. Let's make it be uh, a conversation piece. People might not like it, like it, that kind of approach. That's kind of just you know we're just going to insert this in here. But I think now is the time better than any. And I don't think that we should uh, 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 we in education should be should be um, just waiting for the right time because that time will never come. So I think it's just that we have to start now and just this is to say this is what we're gonna do. We've been taking the back seat for a long time. Maybe it's now it's time for us to be on the forefront for a while. That's it, right there, mic drop. I think <laughs> that's it. Like I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't sugarcoat it anymore. It's just if if it changes, if if changes, if changes gonna happen, I think the climate is right for it to be done now. And I think, I think with. The way if, if that uh, um, sports is, is there is is how professional sports is going right now. The the black movement is is 
right there for everyone to see. You see it on the back. You see it in the NBA. You see what they're doing in the NFL. You see what they're doing now with the uh, um, the NHL too. Also, it's right there. It's right there on the back of the basketball players' jerseys. It's right there on the basketball court. We need to continue this dialogue. And it's more than this dialogue is is is, is yes, I understand. Um, it's justice in our criminal system and the uh, treatment of black people by 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 um police officers and the authorities but it's a bigger dialogue than that yeah and it's because racism finds itself in, in almost every sphere of our life because it's so systematic and it's so embedded and we shy away from um the fact that you know racism is also very heavy in canada but it's true you know do your research do you know educate yourself like racism and anti-black racism is very much embedded here and I, I love what you said the change is going to happen the climate is right right now and I, I think that's such an important message to get across truly what is your final message of hope going forward to yourself as a black person to your son uh, to your other child as well as the family members, uh, black children, and society in general. Don't let up. Always fight for what you believe in. Don't let anybody keep you down. Um, if you see somebody trying to keep you down, you see it, speak up, build allies. Stay positive. Don't fight. Don't use hate to fight hate. Even though it, that's sometimes instinct that your body is giving you. Do what you can. Figure out what gifts you have. How you can make that difference. How you can empower um, your fellow Black people. How you can empower um, your family, your kids. Uh, Teach these, teach these kids to be proud of who they are. Be proud of the color of their skin. My, my wife is, my wife, my wife is white. But I want my son to love the color of his skin. I also want my son to love the fact that he's also half white. I want him to just be, love the person that he is, and love and 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 be proud. It's not about picking a side, but be proud of who he is. Um, there was something I said in, in, in a in a, uh, a Facebook post I put out. I said, my son is, my kids are half white and half black, but because of the color of their skin, they're no longer white. They're, they're black. Society sees them as black. They're not white. They're black. Even though they're half, they're black. And they don't, they will not get the, they, they will not receive that quote, white privilege gone and that's a, you know uh, that's a lesson I'm gonna have to in, 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 in a later time in his life to talk about what that white privilege is he's not ready for that yet you can't let up um, we can't we, we also have to find a way to make sure that uh, that there's enough po- there's enough positive uh, messaging going out right now that it can be, continue to be a dialogue in the media you know the media likes to control messaging. We have to make sure that it's on the, it's always on the forefront 
on, on all media, on, on news outlets. But we have to do how to do it in a positive way. And we got to make, see if we can make the media, you know, share those, share those positive, those positive stories. Because there's too much negative going on right now. I really appreciate you um, sharing your experiences and uh, sharing about what you're currently doing right now and taking the time to join in on this important conversation. Our hope is that we continue to build up our people and our community together to empower one another, as you said, and be proud of who we are. It's time to amplify us.